This is SLAS Technology Podcast. I'm David Pector. SLAS Technology Podcast welcomes Sabrina Zani and Dr. Varun Kothamachu to today's episode. Together with Federico Mufado, they co-authored a very interesting SLAS Technology Review article, Role of Digital Microfluidics in Enabling Access to Laboratory Automation and Making Biology Programmable. Sabrina and Varun are part of the founding team at DigiBio, an Amsterdam-based digital microfluidics startup where Sabrina serves as DigiBio's head of operations and Varun serves as head of product. Welcome to SLAS Technology Podcast. Thanks, David. It's Thank really you, nice David. to be here. Why don't we start with explaining to our listeners what DMF or digital microfluidics is and what impact it is having on laboratory automation? Digital microfluidics is basically uh, a very interesting uh, liquid handling technique. Uh, what it does is uh, allows you to manipulate droplets. Imagine uh, a droplet of water on a surface. The shape that the droplet would uh, take on the surface uh, is usually based on the wettability of the surface. For example, if uh, the surface is uh, hydrophilic, then the droplet is spread out and the contact angle is low. Whereas if uh, the uh, surface is hydrophobic, then uh, the droplet of water is usually more spherical and uh, the contact angle is high. So what this means for digital microfluidics is uh, you can basically modify the way the droplet uh, sits on a surface by applying uh, an electric field in the case of electrowetting based uh, digital microfluidics. And you can also apply electric forces on the droplet to implement a, a whole range of uh, different uh, droplet operations. For example, uh, if you imagine this droplet on an array of uh, electrodes, let's say something looking like a chessboard where you have each square being a separate electrode and uh, there's a droplet which is on the central square. Now, what you can do with digital microfluidics, especially the electro-wetting based digital microfluidics is uh, you can turn on and off the adjacent electrodes uh, to where the droplet is placed and uh, in effect apply an electric field which applies a force on the droplet and makes it move uh, in the direction that you want. So basically by uh, encoding a sequence of these uh, switching on and off of electrodes, you can uh, make the droplet move from say square A to B, or you can even uh, get a big droplet to broke, to be split into smaller droplets, or you can take a couple of different droplets and then mix them together. And the fact with uh, digital microfluidics that you can do it at a droplet level means it gives you a very high uh, degree of uh, control on uh, your uh, reaction. Uh, you can uh, work with droplets, which are a uh, few picoliters, all the way up to a few milliliters. So, so if you look at something where the lower volumes that it can handle are in the picoliters range, what this does is if you are looking at uh, workflows where, are, where there are uh, very little samples available or uh, what digital microfluidics can do is uh, bring down the overall reaction volume that you work with. So significantly it can reduce the amount of reagents you need as you bring down the volume or the react of the reaction chamber, in this case, you can treat each droplet as a reaction chamber. So bringing it down and shrinking it allows you a, a better control. This, this is important because uh, 
especially nowadays you see a lot of workflows involving many many repetitive cycles especially in uh, areas like synthetic biology where you are doing this design build test learn kind of cycles so anything that you can do to reduce the number of iterations to reduce the uh, amount of re uh, reagents you need and also to be able to work more reliably within the reaction environment that you have uh, you start to add a lot of uh, value Uh, we have some collaborators that we work with who use our uh, uh, DMF platforms, and they've seen almost like, in some cases, hundredfold reduction in uh, reagent usage, and also in terms of time saving, almost ten times uh, at the least uh, uh, reduction in the time it takes for them to do their uh, protocol in comparison to a manual implementation. So there's a huge value, and it's super exciting for us too. So how would you place uh, DMF in the wider world of microfluidics? I guess a lot of people would know that there are different types of microfluidics, uh, be it a channel microfluidics where you have a, a PDMS-based chips and you have these pumps which uh, drive fluids through the channel. Uh, and then you have your uh, droplet microfluidics and then digital microfluidics. Now, unlike uh, the other two, the channel and the droplet microfluidics, uh, digital microfluidics is, uh, does not have any pumps. There are no mechanical parts. It's, uh, if you imagine a surface which has electrodes, uh, an array of electrodes, uh, you basically are dispensing a droplet onto the surface and you just apply electric field uh, and an electric field to uh, manipulate the droplets. When you compare uh, channel microfluidics, the amount of sample you need is a lot more uh, than you would require for digital microfluidics. Okay. Uh, if you take the example of uh, a droplet microfluidic setup where you are producing thousands of droplets, uh, in DMF, it's usually not at such a high throughput. It's more low to medium throughput. throughput. You're talking about hundreds of droplets. But the advantage that this brings to DMF is uh, you have a better control on what happens to the droplets. There's also optofluidics, there's also acoustic microfluidics. If you're using something where uh, your uh, optofluidics, where it's a light beam that you use, it's quite cool, I mean, uh, uh, that, that you can do this, uh, but you also uh, face a risk in some cases of uh, photo bleaching if you're working with some kind of fluorescent mm -hmm. uh, labeled uh, droplets. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one challenge. Uh, uh, Sabrina, you mentioned integrating with other devices? Um, I think right now, what's really interesting is the on-chip stuff. What's most common for you to find is an integration with uh, spectrometry uh, methods, like SPR and uh, fluorescence. Uh, I think you can also very commonly see the use of capacitance uh, to measure analytes that you move on the chip. Uh, what's most exciting um, as it relates to uh, image analysis, for example, um, just using normal a normal camera field to take a picture of whatever's on your chip and then apply some kind of uh, machine learning to understand patterns or trends that you're seeing. So it can be anything. It can be based on uh, you know, morphological information if you're using a microscope or it can be well also on fluorescence data, but it can also be something like um, uh, for precision purposes, uh, detecting the actual volume on the chip. So then you, you really know what's going on. You know how um, when you're working in larger volumes using these tubes, uh, it's always been a constant problem that there's a certain degree of error because of 
uh, handling itself, like pipetting in and out and so on and so forth. So that's something that could be solved by these kind of integrations. So we're really trying to get more out of what's happening on the chip. I see. Okay. As opposed to, it's more about bringing the outside capabilities in than bringing the, it out. Uh, interesting. Okay. What do you think DMF will mean for things like process development, process transfer, and scale up? Being able to bring down the, the, uh, the amount of reagents you use uh, increases a lot of the efficiency for you in the process. So from a process transfer point of view, if you're looking at things like automating DNA synthesis, uh, DNA assembly, cloning, these kind of protocols would become uh, quite uh, uh, attractive for a DMF-based uh, based, uh, implementation. Taking a different perspective, um, as you mentioned, to this new liquid handling paradigm. So usually you have tubes and then they have barcodes on tubes. You're not directly addressing what's inside the tube. So that's something that the digital microfluidics platform can do. You're able to actually directly digitize whatever's in your, um, yeah, in your uh, droplet, uh, meaning that that is one-to-one -one with a data point that you're, um, that, yeah, that you're storing. So it's not like you um, get your um, data and then you have to translate it to something else in order for you to have your results that you can read. It's going to be one-to-one, -one, uh, your, your droplet. And then, um, so it's not just about um, the form of the results that you get, but also about being able to connect what you did with what you get. We do have to build some of the uh, chip to world kind of interfaces that you uh, earlier mentioned. Uh, and it will be uh, an intermediary step, we hope, until a point we can uh, run entire workflows on the device. Let me ask each of you uh, to tell us about your own work. Before joining Digibio, uh, I spent a lot of time uh, uh, doing a lot of different things. Uh, I mean, I've uh, spent some time. Uh, I originally trained as a biotech engineer and uh, jumped into uh, qualifying uh, with a degree in drug discovery because I was really interested in understanding what goes wrong when there is a disease and how do you develop new medicines. Uh, but I wanted to get more uh, uh, modeling perspective into how you view biology. So I ended up doing a applied math slash computational biology kind of a PhD. And then I worked in startups both as founder and also as an employee in software uh, in uh, in, in academia, I did bioengineering uh, as a postdoc in Edinburgh, and then I'm also now working in hardware. So I've basically done the whole gamut of uh, data modeling, uh, wet lab, and uh, uh, hardware at this point. So uh, I kind of try to bring this uh, mixed experience into Digibio. Uh, because uh, the, I strongly believe that uh, the future is at the intersection of all these, especially for biology, uh, and if you want to really come up with some interesting breakthroughs. So I'm uh, quite excited to be at Digibio, and uh, my role mainly right now is about uh, focusing on understanding uh, how people would want to use our technology, and uh, how do you build products that uh, address problems that uh, potential users of the technology would have. Um, so for me, before I was in DigiBio, um, my focus was more on uh, bioprocessing projects. I was really intrigued with like um, closed loop systems. Um, my studies, my academic experience was more on 
uh, environmental biotechnology. So it was a lot about uh, waste to wealth, uh, bioremediation, uh, the perfect recycling uh, process, recyclable stuff. But then I want a little bit more than that. Uh, I wanted to see that particular perspective uh, being applied in all the other industries as well, because um, it's the kind of thing that, um, you know, it just puts, that's put under one label, but then it's just left there and not applied in other contexts, even though that's where it should make sense. Um, so this is how we see these things uh, being translated into, you know, the sustainable movement and so on and so forth. So I really wanted to be part of that. But at the same time, I really wanted to be part of science. I really wanted to do really cool things uh, with cells. Uh, and so I found myself uh, with DigiBio. Um, so as Varun mentioned, we're part of the founding team. And um, in the beginning, we were very much working on product development. Um, so we were heavily involved on that. Um, but now um, I'm actually doing more of um, what I was interested in before, which is trying to find uh, all the little gaps in what could make a perfect recycling system. So this DBTL cycle is my obsession at this moment. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I'm also um, translating that into the company's operations. This is how I uh, function as the head of operations in DigiBio, um, trying to match what the, as I mentioned before, this uh, dream digital automation structure cycle um, into this company itself, you know, because in order for us to realize that dream, we have to know how these, how these components can actually function within one space. So this is what we're trying to achieve in Jibayo.